Mark V. Smith specializes in empowering individuals in the creation of personal clarity and teaches them how to formulate their path through the slings and arrows life throws at them. An Ohio State Buckeye alum, Smith has worked with people who have chosen many lanes, including those in a juvenile detention center, high school and college football, and high-end executives. Smith is a vice president of Middle Athletic Career Counseling Association and former reemployment services and eligibility assessment facilitator for the Department of Labor. He currently serves as a trainer at the Center for Urban Families in Baltimore. And with his podcast, The Process, he has helped many choose a better path to grow. Please welcome Mark V. Smith. Hi, Debbie. Good morning. Good afternoon. I was going to say good morning. It's been a long day already. Uh, thank you for having me today. It's great to have you here. And thank you. I just kind of want to start at the beginning. You grew up in Columbus. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what it was like in your neighborhood. What was it like in that area growing up? Wow, it was it was amazing. I grew up. I, I don't say I, I'm, I'm I'm older. I say I'm wiser. So, but the the, the, the years when, when I was growing up, the neighborhoods were totally different than a lot of them were now. I mean, you you everybody in the neighborhood got along. Meaning, you know, you respected the neighbors. The neighbors respected you. All the kids played together. So it was just a a wonderful time, a a great time to to really embark on life. I like to go back and say, you know, and I wrote a series that we'll talk about a little bit later. If I only knew then what I know now, but just being being raised by a community, mother, father, aunts, uncles, neighbors, everybody band together to make sure that the kids were growing up in. And interacting with each other. Again, born and raised there. Went to high school at, at Columbus Eastmore, which is was known at that time as one of the major powerhouses in, in the state. We were the first team. As a junior, I, I quarterbacked that team to be the first city league team to ever qualify for the state playoffs. Nobody else had ever done that, and our team was, was fortunate to do that. As a senior, again, we didn't make it to the playoffs but because we lost to one of the teams who made it to the playoffs, but we still did, did exceptionally well. From that, I had an opportunity to, of course, everybody, when you think about Columbus, you got to think about the Buckeyes, right? So I did have an opportunity to go on and um, further my education and uh, spend a little time on the football field there in Columbus for the Buckeyes, which was a rewarding experience. That's huge. Yeah, being <laughs> able that to, team. Yeah, being able to, to embark on that. I, I, but I always go back and say that those, those years from junior high to high school to college, they are major steps. They are major steps in terms of mentally. I don't think, I don't say the game was physically a lot different, you know, because everybody grew, but it was more mentally different. You know, you found yourself that where you really had to lock in on, on what you need to do, or as I say, truly forward think and process things a lot quicker. So again, after that tenure in Ohio State, I decided that I wanted to embark on, on, on what I felt was or what I, I wanted to ch help start changing lives. And I did that when I started working for Franklin County Courts. I worked as a juvenile probation. So, you know, every day you, you see those kids, or some of them who were making mistakes, some of them who was really trying to find themselves. I just felt it was so important for me to have an opportunity to impact them and do what I need to do. Almost anybody who will tell you who's been in 
law enforcement as well as in, in the court system would tell you it's very underpaid and truly underappreciated. Mm-hmm. So again, I felt it was time to move on from there and decided to get into post-secondary education where I spent a vast majority of, of my life until um, 2018 when all that came to a crashing end. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, and, and that, but however, again, I go back and look at that and, and look at things the way they were. That's when it opened up the opportunity for me to create the process and really yeah. live my dream that we, well, yeah. we talk about. Well, well, we'll, we'll get into that. I want to, before I move on, I have to say Columbus, Ohio is a household name in Calgarians' mouth these days from Calgary, Alberta, because Johnny Goodrow, our our number one hockey player, has just signed with the Blue Jackets. So ah, okay. There's that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know, I I can remember I can remember before I left Ohio. I left Ohio in 1999. The Blue Jackets came in, and I'm gonna say the late or 80, 89, um, and that was the biggest. 90s. Biggest, yeah, or yeah, late 80s, first part of the 90s. That was the biggest stir inside of, of the Columbus area because we had nothing else. You had the Buckeyes, but you had no professional sports. We used to have an organization called the Columbus Clippers, who at that yes. time were, were the New York Yankees AAA team. So when the Blue Jackets came to town, it was a big roar. It played at Nationwide Arena, downtown Columbus. <laughs> I remember when they came. Well, I remember working with Rick Nash. He was a huge uh, Buckeyes fan too, and he was he collected football helmets from all the college teams. Mm. <laughs> so I want to know, like the juvenile detention center working there how how was like how was because usually and just when stuff happens to you, you can go one of two direct directions. You can internalize it or you can lash out so the ones that end up in the detention center are obviously the Mm -hmm. ones that lashed out Mm -hmm. so what has that what have you learned from I know it was like early on but Mm -hmm. what did you learn from the people that were in that detention center what did that teach you about yourself it it taught me something that that I, I that I talk about a lot about now and that is growth. Now, we are going to go through things that happen and going to occur in our lives. Everybody does and everybody will. But it's how you react to it. What do you do? And I, again, I, I often chronicle a lot about some of the choices that I made that I didn't were a lot different than what I expected. And those individuals, those young men who, again, who were, were I was involved with, some of them were the same. You, one of the one of the consistent things that that you had that within them was the lack of of a male figure, a true male figure inside of their home. Now, I, 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 when I when I define true male figure, I mean somebody who was giving them the wisdom and instinct every single day. And they had male figures, but those male figures weren't the ones that were giving them true guidance. They were teaching them how to be effectively in the streets and do things in the streets. However, that's really not what they really wanted to do. And what I talk to talk about a lot is everybody really wants to belong to something. Everybody, if you think about it, everybody wants to belong to something. And these young men, they did the same. But sometimes they made that bad choice to to put them to be, to because they wanted to belong to something in a negative fortunately committed a crime 
and had to do some um, some time. The young men that I worked with, they could be they could be only held until they were 18 years old. At 18 mm. years old, of course, they were released unless you were committed to what they call Department of Youth Services. And some of them could be held till they were 21. So mm. I've seen a wide variety of personalities. But I would say that that was probably one of the best jobs that I had inside of my whole career because it taught me how to understand. It taught me active mm. listening. It taught me the ability to really sit down and have an opportunity to see where these young men were coming from and figure out what could I do to not only make an impact on young men, but individuals all across the world. And help them before they make those choices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you talk, we talk football a lot before we came onto this broadcast, <laughs> no surprise, but you coached, you said you coached high school and college football. What level did you coach? At I, co I, started, I started out coaching, of course, at, you, you, you have to go through those levels of progression. So of yeah. course I started out in the, in the little league peewee level, did very well to the point to where high school coaches were coming and asking me, would I become part of their staff? So I coached two years in Columbus, Ohio. And then when I moved to Arizona, I had an opportunity to coach seven years at two different high schools. One high school mm -hmm. was a brand new high school that had, they started out with just freshmen. Then the next year they went freshman, sophomore, then so all the way through to their senior year, as well as with uh, um, one high school that is still doing extremely, extremely well out there, Chandler High School, who they are in the parade and parade the top 10 schools in the country. So it's been rewarding to, again, to sit down and watch these young men evolve. I mean, to grow as, to grow as, and see the confidence that they start to exuberate, to understand the value of teamwork, to understand that, that they, that they really going to work together because that's what life's about. I, I, I joke, I joke and tell everybody all the time, you man, football is the greatest game in the world. It teaches you, it teaches you so much about how you, you, you have to get along with other individuals. You may not particularly like them. Uh, so to speak, but you come together for a common mission. And then that common mission is to make sure that you're successful. And at the end of the day, you build a camaraderie that you can never replace. You can't even write this. This is something that they'll carry with them for the rest of their lives. So yeah, coaching was, was rewarding. And again, it, it kind of helped me move on to other levels of what I chose to do. And what I guess what I was called to do at the end of the day. Well, hallelujah. Pray to Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we we know you just it's true it there's so much you learn from from the gridiron and uh, what is it what is and there's so many inspiring stories but can you do you have one story in the back of your mind that you experienced or you saw happen with a player that just kind of honed in why, why everything you're doing made it worthwhile. I, I did. I actually, uh, I know there's many, but yeah, there's many. <laughs> there, there's one that I actually chronicled in one of my episodes of the process for his own protection. I'm not going to use his name, but I'm of just course. the nickname that we used to call him. We used to call him giggle pops because <laughs> this kid was, I mean, he would smile at, at anything and everything that mm. he did. I mean, he was small in stature. I'm going to say he was probably about five, eight, five, nine, about 130 pounds, soaking wet, you know, soaking wet as a freshman. And but yet still, you've seen a desire inside this kid to always, always work harder than anybody else. So, you know, we would put, push him through and make him do extra drills and he would just be smiling through the drills. And as a coach, you know, that would make you mad. You know, why is this kid smiling? 
what are, you, are we not pushing him enough? Is, is he not taking me serious? So, you know, he, he continued to work on himself, work on himself, but he never lost a smile. He had a, he truly had a passion and really enjoyed what he, what he did. Um, by the time he was a, a, a sophomore, he went from a buck 30 to maybe 145, all muscle, started to, to, to tone down his speed. He was running a 5'1", 5'2", he was down to a 4'8", 4'9". So, and then and starting to get taller. So now we're talking, he's maybe six foot. Then you then you see him same demeanor. You you get on him, he laughs, smile, yes sir, and keep running. Get into a junior year, he's again starting to develop a lot more. He's up maybe once 180, 185, six foot one, really solid muscle, running four four five forties now. So now he's starting to get on co- on radars of some of the colleges that are out there as well because they're looking and say, who is this kid? Great student, 4.0 all the way through, never had any problems. And coincidentally, he was raised by his grandmother. And his mm-hmm. grandmother to always taught him to always be hungry but humble. Come his senior year, he he ballooned up to 205, grew up to about six foot three, and wound up signing a scholarship to, to UCLA. So, wow. but just to see the evolution of this kid to never give up. I mean, he didn't he didn't get to hit the field to his junior year. So all those years of working, not getting frustrated, not getting agitated. But that was a, it's a testament to me and what I talk to a lot of the men and women that I facilitate about now is that you don't know when your opportunity is going to be there. But if you're consistently working to get better, you're consistently working on yourself, you're consistently staying in the right frame of mind, someday your opportunity is going to come. It's not if, it's when. And when it does, you need to be ready for that. And that's life. I mean, that is truly everything we epitomize and we go through in life. Your number's coming. What are you going to do when it's your time? Are you going to answer the bell or are you not? That is that is great. That is a great story. And so nothing is ever, I mean, you've got the succession, you've got the, you know, working hard and the persistence. But there's always something that happens. There's always a storm, the storm that you have to weather to something knocks you down and you have to kind of almost rebuild over again. Did you have one of those moments and and or many of them? How long do we have? How long do we have today? And you know, it's funny you bring that up because again, I the, the young men and women that I facilitate in this training group, they just graduated today in, in here in Baltimore. And I always talk to them about how they are poised to seek greatness. But in seeking greatness, things are going to come against you. You know, I, I use the adage a lot of times is, you know, be, beware of who's in your circle versus who's in your cage meaning who is going to hold you back and who's going to stop you from reaching some of the levels that, that you go through. And for me, I would say that probably one of the, there's two, I'll give multiple defining moments, but I think that the one that probably set the most presence inside my life is when, when I lost my father. Mm. And I say this on the eve of, of me losing my mother-in-law because that impacts me just as much as it was when I lost my father 20 plus years. You go through a time or a period with with the loss of of a parent to where you actually are truly thinking about some of the things that you could have done, you should have done or would have done and wondered if that would have uh, changed them. So, you know, my father passed away again. We talked about 17 years ago. I'm sorry, uh, 18 years ago, but he passed away on my birthday. So Mm. that 
at a time to where I wasn't sure, you know, he and I had become really close. We had a, a, I don't want to say a strange relationship, but we had a relationship of me not understanding who he was. And I had to get out of that. But as he, as close to he started to, or before he passed away, we gotten really close. He became my best friend. So when he passed, it took a lot out of me. I didn't know where to go. My, you know, he was my, my light to give me that self-esteem, the one to give me that extra boost and that extra talk. And it took, you know, until my wife, after I, you know, I had got divorced and then got remarried, it took to after one time, my wife, my, my wife now sat me down and said, you know, I want you to really think about the, the messages that your father gave you. I want you to truly think about his impact on you and think about what he has given you. And remember how highly blessed and favored you are to the day that your father was gone home is a date that, that God gave you life. That's a monumental day. So I really thought about what were all the teachings and things that he had given me? What were some of the things or messages that I, you know, I didn't get, but I get? What are some of the things that how, how I can take some of the, the messages or thoughts that he had given me and expand upon them and give them to other individuals? And that's when I think the clock started to turn and say, man, there's something in you or there, there's you know, that old proverbial thing. You're stirring that pot of soup. Um, there was something stirring inside my heart and soul that I needed to start to get out. And that's when I started, started the journal, started to put things together and then started to release what we had today, which is called the process. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I wrote an acronym that, that always sticks with, with me when I think about my father and I think about the challenges that we always, that we're always going to have. And I entitled it growth. And I said, that stands for a gradual reminder. Obstacles will test hope. And I always think about, you know, every, as we continue to persevere and as we continue to grow, things are going to come our way. But what is it doing? It's really strengthening us. It's really pushing us. It's really making us lock in to get to do the things that we need to do to be the best that we can be. So that would be one of the incidents that I would say hit, you know, hit really kind of changed my peripheral, you know, make me live in a life of transactional or excuse me, a transformational versus transactional. It's just so many different things that have happened since then. But I always circle back to that date because that's when my mindset changed from being selfish to being selfless. Mm. And we all make bad choices. There's yeah. no age limit on that. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of those choices cost us a ton of money. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, and of course, we can beat ourselves up for a long time over some mm -hmm. of the choices we made. So what do you tell other people to stop? beating themselves up i i, I asked them when's the last time they got in and do you practice what you preach when's the last time you got in your car you know when's the, right. when's the, last, when's the last time you got in your car and they you know they'll, 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 they'll tell me you know what do you think i drove here well did you notice how many times did you look in that rear view mirror and they would they would say you know oh, a couple times when i turned i said you know there's a, a true magnificent reason why that that rear view mirror is a lot smaller than your front mirror is because that's your past. You're not supposed to look behind you. You're always supposed to look ahead. You see what's coming, and that's what, what's behind you. I just try to, to reemphasize to them that they, they can't be defined, will not be defined of their past. It is just that, is the past. And for them to, to have the intestinal fortitude to get up every day, to put to, to, to think about where they are every single day, that's enough. Right. There's an old saying, there's an old adage that I utilize a lot of times is 
1%. If you get 1% better every single day, then the, of the small things, those small things are going to magnify into big things. So don't worry about, just win the day. Just win the day. That's all you have to worry about. Not to, don't, don't worry about tomorrow yet. Let's take care of today. That 1%. If you can push 1% more, which you can, everybody can. If you can apply one more thing or one, one more 1% more of your life every single day, the, the past will slowly, surely diminish all the way behind you. And you will see the, the strength and perseverance that you have within. I love that. Win the day. Mm -hmm. That is so great. I'm going to, I'm going to post that on my mirror. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned that change is hard, messy in the middle and, but rewarding in the end. How do you convince people to see themselves, look in the mirror basically, and encourage them to change? Because sometimes some of well, we keep making the same choices a lot of times because we don't know any better, but, but sometimes we, we don't have, I mean, some people are not open, don't seem to be as willing to accept change and being open-minded because the world is changing and we mm -hmm. kind of have to evolve with it. Right. Mm -hmm. well, so how that, do you encourage that? Well, you know, I said at the very beginning, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. <laughs> but fact of the matter, fact of the matter uh, Debbie, is most people don't change until the mm -hmm. pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people look at me crazy when I say that, but, but think about it. Most people will not change until the pain of staying the same is greater. They've reached that point to where this is not good for me anymore. I've got to change. And it, it just, it, it takes the time for, for individuals to really, really realize where they are in their life. And I, I do believe that everybody does hit that rock is, is, is they run into that rock. <laughs> They're full blown, full, full blown head down. They run into that rock to where they got to make a change in their life because stagnation is, is not what they want. And I, I when I write, you know, I, I laugh, everybody laughs at me when I, I write something and say, and give it to them and say, comfort is a casualty growth. Do you want to stay still or do you want to grow? It's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you. The world, the world is going to grow. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Mm -hmm. So if you want to stay right where you are, that's okay. I can't, nobody can make you change. But at some point, the pain of staying the same will be greater than the pain of change. And at that day, in that time, you have already gone through a process to have yourself removed from those things to get to where you need to go. Hmm. That's great. Mentoring. Let's talk about mentoring and the importance of it. And and who's your mentor? Wow. wow. I, I've got two. One, I would say, would be my wife. And a lot of people question, you know, why would you say your wife? Because she's taught me a lot. Uh, I don't believe that be a male's mentor or a female has to be a female's mentor. I believe it's about sharing knowledge and sharing things that you go through in life. And I always tell her all the time, you are the strongest person I know. There's not so many people I know can go through the things that you went through and still stand. I don't know anybody that could do that. Who can, who can stand up and rise above some of the things that you go through and have gone through on a daily basis and keep a smile on your face. 
So that would be that would be one. The second one, the other mentor that would have would, would have probably been funny story of Mr. Williams. Mr. Williams, my very first boss. I, I worked up for an organization when I was 14 years old called the, the Youth Conservation Corps, YCC. And Debbie, you I had to get picked among nine people to listen to this. You had to get picked to go inside and, and clear out a path at, at parks, get poison ivy, poison oak, <laughs> sunburn, the whole nine yards. You had to get picked to do this job, right? You had to try out. <laughs> try out. Now how much sense does that make? And I didn't understand it then, and but I understand it now. We, we were tasked to work at a park in, in Columbus, Ohio, Black Lake Woods. And at that time, Black Lake Woods was really, really new. So, but they had no walking trails. So myself and eight other men and women, we got, had to be there at six o'clock in the morning and got done at three o'clock at night, rain or shine. So we had to clear mile path long, eight feet wide. We had to clear that. So with nothing but shovels, rakes, brushes, wheelbarrows, and tarp. So after you dig a little bit, start to open it up, and after you measured it off, then you had to take it, put it in the wheelbarrow, go dump it. Somebody else would continue to do that. We did that for, for excuse me, for two months. You know, we did that from, from June to August, every single day, Monday through Friday. But the thing I think about that that makes the most sense is we as individuals, we're consistently clearing a path of, of debris in our lives. There was, there's so many things that we're picking up and moving, things that we're, we're taking and throwing away, clearing a path for our own success and for our own goals and visions and dreams. And, and you know, I, I don't believe that the, the tasks that we have are never by mistake. I believe I was placed in that job to help me understand what it takes to remove things from your past, to be able to teach other individuals, hey, you need to identify who you're around, who you're associating with. I use, do an exercise all the time with the men and women and ask them, raise your hand if, if you're the go-to person. If anytime somebody, something goes on, they come to you. Is that, is, is that you? And then, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. You need to change your group. You're pouring <laughs> in. So, again, and Mr. Williams taught us that so much and so much more about what it's going to take to be a great man, what it's going to take to be a great father, what's it take to be to serve your community. These are lessons learned at 14 years old. So, you know, I go back and think of, wow, he he took his time every single day. It's monumental and I'll never forget it. And I talk about and teach to that premise of clearing the path of your of your worth all the time. Hmm. Now, because you've worked on the front lines of communities that are, you know, let's just say they're passed over, like the detention center, the people in the detention center, and and let's face it, some of the urban urban community members have been passed over for mm -hmm. whatever. How what what do you think needs to change? It's a big, it's a loaded question, and I know you can't solve things overnight, but from a house to house person to person aspect what needs to change so that we can make our communities better i think we need to get back to the point to where we can respect each other mm. and i mean by respect i mean 
you know, look beyond race, look beyond, look beyond gender, look beyond the, the some of the some of the what you automatically see when you open our eyes because we're all visual, right? So look to be work on yourselves to be intelligent enough to have a conversation. It's okay to have differences, but at least have the conversation to figure out why you might have the difference. Take a look, you know, you, you use the adage in the mirror, take a look in your mirror because none of us are perfect, but right? mm -hmm. we all have, we all have flaws and we all have faults. I just say taking a step back and starting off with, with, with respect of each other again, being able to continue to work on that and, and a constant communication or constant dialogue with each other to make sure we're doing that. Secondly, create educational programs inside our elementary schools. Our kids mm -hmm. don't know anything about money management. You know, you, you can you you, you already took away PE, physical education. You took it away. What are you, what are you doing with those kids? Why, why can't these kids, there's no reason why financial literacy shouldn't be taught to these young men and women inside of school. Get, bring entrepreneurs in and show them what it's going to take for them to and open up a business. That changes their mindset and that wants them to learn more. For them to learn more, they may you know, continue to offer more programs at, at a technical school level. You know, I was fortunate enough to go to a major university, but not everybody's cut out for that, right? We need plumbers. We need carpenters. Mm -hmm. the, the service oriented people because if you look at the grand scheme of things when we had COVID and everybody else was shut down gas station attendants were still open buy auto body shops were still open electricians still went to work so help these help these individuals in the communities with more resources and more pro to help them not only with entrepreneurship with education with money management but also go back to each one of them has to be tied to tailored and tagged around respect that's mm -hmm. how we change the dynamics to to get us back or put us to a point to where we need to be so tell us a little bit about the process wow <laughs> again we're short on time no well just it, it, you it know how did you get it started what what is it about it's an in-depth look at, um, I use it as a blueprint or for our sports fans. It's a playbook of situations and ideas that how we can not negatively think, but always move our mind to a positive level. And I learned early on as a, as a player that everything in football and, and was based around quick thinking quick and based on acronyms so i said i'm going to take what i had or what was in my mind and my spirit and create acronyms and deliver a message about those in, in that retrospect so i did i'm in the seventh season of the process it actually is aired on two radio stations as well as my podcast as well as i of course i do public speaking in, in baltimore as well dc virginia and all across the country and it truly is, Debbie, an opportunity for me to share not only my journey, but the journey that everybody goes through. You know, mm -hmm. we all have storms in our life, which I said is surviving trials so, um, to remain motivated. You know, I talked about air, which, you know, we all breathe. And I said that's accountability, integrity, responsibility, and respect. I talk about growth, gradual reminder, obstacles will test hope. So I take those messages and I, I bottle them up in real life, true stories and display them and let everybody know that, hey, we go through it. You got to go through to get through. So here's a blueprint anymore. You don't have to scratch your head. 
You don't have to, to, to feel alone. There's a resource there for you to get it and, and embody it and apply it. That's great. So last question, what we know the big picture of what we need to do in each community, but what can every individual, what's one thing we can do in this next week to kind of move that process forward? Share some information, some positive information with someone, with, with, with a random stranger. Go to a grocery store and out of the blue, go in and and uh, get see you if you see a a uh, elderly person ask them how you can help them if you see if, if you see a mother and a child walking alone or 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 need something inside the store ask how can you help them if we go take our mind and go back to the serve portion of life now there's a oh, Dr. Rick Rigsby said you should always keep your your servant's town bigger than your ego so all your servants' towel should always be bigger than your ego. And I, I, I do believe as soon as we take that step back and quit saying me and, and turn that M into a W to make it and realize that we are all in this together. What you do affects me, affects my grandchildren, affects, it's going to affect their grandchildren. So take the, take the personality out of it, take the, the, the racism out of it, take the hate out of it, go back and have a good conversation and, and go back to which is what we are truly all called to do that's how we change the narrative i love it yes what a great way to end this thank you so much mark it was lovely to have you here thank you for having me